Well, good morning, North Star. We're so glad you're here. If you're worshiping with us on our online campus or whether you're here live in person with us, we are so glad you're here this morning. It's going to be a great day. If we've never met, my name's Daniel, and I'm one of the, the pastors here at North Star. And right off the bat, I just want to say happy Father's Day to all our dads. Let's give them a hand. Woo! Hey, so if you want to make their day great today, it's raining outside, so just feed us well, let us watch on TV, whatever we want, it will be fine, and I'm hoping that last night you remembered to put out the milk and cookies for the Father's Day Ferry, because he came, and look, there he was, I got a picture of him, this is Mike Lindemann, I don't know, he looks like somebody I know, but hopefully you did that, it's going to be a great day today, going to be a great day, so I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in our life. Last Father's Day I spoke, I know you all remember everything I said, but I, I had this old toolbox, and this was a toolbox I grew up seeing my dad use, this old Craftsman Sears toolbox, and hear it, hear it, it, it squeaks and all, and, um, and I used this last Father's Day, and I wanted to bring it back and kind of give you an update what's going on. So, three weeks ago, my family moved. If you've ever moved, you know after you move, you'll say, this is our last move. We're never moving again. This is awful. Well, three weeks ago, we moved, and man, it is, it's a, you know how it is when you move. There's just so much to do. We moved from a house that we loved. For, we lived in for about 16 years in a neighborhood, and we bought a farm. And so we moved to the country. Bonnie grew up in the country, and my kids need to work hard. And so what we're doing is, is that we are. We're working. Man, poor Colby. This kid, look at this picture. We were working him like a dog. He's got his little cowboy boots on. We're making a little stone path. And uh, it's fun, but we're going to bed every night, tired, waking up every morning sore, but it's good stuff. But one of the most frustrating things over the past three weeks has been this. And guys or, or ladies, if you like to build, you like to do stuff, you, this, this might resonate with you. It's when you have a job that takes you like could take you like 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops. But because you don't have the right tool, it takes you like 15 hours. You know what I mean? Like I've got this one thing and it could take me five or 10 minutes. I just don't have the tool to do it. And so now I'm looking at like half a day and I've got a toolbox full of tools, but nothing in here will work for what I'm going to do. But I'm too lazy to get up and drive to Home Depot and I'm too cheap. So I'm going to try to make everything in here work. And then I end up messing it up and I end up making it way more than it is. If you're like me, then, that, then you, know, you know what I'm talking about. I think that illustration is, correctly illustrates how me and maybe a lot of you guys feel about leading our families. I got a toolbox full of tools. I got tools. I just don't know if I have the right tool to lead my family spiritually or lead them in any way. I got tools that I can use at work, man. I do great at work. I got tools that I can use in my hobbies, maybe hunting or fishing or on the golf course or whatever it is. I might even have the right tool to lead this one kid in my house because I can identify with them but not all of these, not my wife. I just don't know if I have the tools in the toolbox to lead effectively. And today, we're going to continue in our character study of David. Now, David was one of the greatest leaders to ever live. So I think he's got a lot of tools that we can borrow, right? 
that David was a Renaissance man before it even existed. David was this, this tough, gritty warrior, right? But David was also this creative musician who knew how to, to, to be soft when he needed to be soft, right? David kind of had that all. And so over the past couple weeks, we've talked about David versus King Saul. And King Saul was the king that preceded David. David replaced him as king. And these two had two very different leadership styles. And I want to I want to talk about that for a minute before we dive in any further. There's two kinds of leadership styles we could have. All right? I can lead positionally or I can lead relationally. Now what does that mean? I can lead positionally. It means, hey, because I'm the leader, because I'm the boss or because I'm the king, whatever my title, whatever I serve, you're going to do what I say to do because this is who I am. And out of respect and out of honor for that, you're going to do it. And I care more about my image and the fact that you get it done than I do about anything else. That's how King Saul led. King Saul was very arrogant. He had a big ego. King Saul wanted stuff done because he was king. Or we can lead relationally. What does relational leadership mean? Relational leadership says, I care about the thing at hand, the task. And yeah, maybe I am the leader, but I care about you more. I care about getting to know you and your heart and how to make you the best you can be and be all that God has for you to be. That's the way David, David led. David loved his people David led relationally, and those are the two ways that we could lead. I love this, this quote from Josh McDowell. He's a, uh, a great author, a great teacher. He wrote this. He said, truth without relationships lead to rejection. Rules without relationships lead to rebellion. Discipline without relationships lead to bitterness, anger, and resentment. He says, but I'll tell you this, you can pray all you want, but if you don't build a relationship with them, forget it, they'll walk away. Man, whether you're a dad or a mom or a leader in whatever capacity, write that down, put it on your mirror, put it on your car dashboard. No truer words were spoken. I can lead in the short term Positional leadership is much easier. In the short term, you might get done what you need done if you lead positionally. In the short term, relational leadership is much more difficult. I got to get outside of myself, outside of my strengths. I got to die to myself and figure out multiple ways to lead different people. But in the long term, positional leadership, devastating. You might get done in the short term what you need, but long term, you will lose them. Long term, relational leadership, massive benefits, massive benefits. So as we look at the life of David, I see four tools or four traits, leadership traits that David had that I think dads, we can put in our toolbox and whether you're a dad here or not, these are great things for the workplace, for the home, wherever you are. Four tools you can put in your toolbox. Here's the first tool. 
aren't these cute? Josie and Bonnie and my family made them for me, right? They don't, they don't work, but you know, they're good. The first tool is patience. Patience. Spiritual leaders have patience. David was content to wait on God's timing. Now, we've learned the past couple weeks how David was content to wait on God's timing. Remember when David was anointed king? How old was he? He was little. He was a shepherd boy. He was out in the fields. And they anointed him king then. But then David couldn't take the throne then. He took the throne how many years later? 20-something years later till David could take this throne. So for 20 years, he had to sit and watch a king whose God's anointing had left and who led out of ego and position, and he had to sit and watch that and say, I know I could do better than that. Oh my gosh, I'm already king. Come on, just let me take the throne. But David led and, and sat and was patient while he waited on God. Who else? There's other people in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, that had to be patient. Abraham. God told Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And yet he was already an old man and he didn't have any kids. And so you would think God would, I mean, listen, he's already up in there. He's in his 70s, but no. He had to continue to wait. And he wasn't until he was in his 90s when they had their first child. Listen, you don't talk about being tired as a parent. Good gravy, right? And then he was a father of many nations. That wasn't it. Like, a good night. Jesus left heaven's throne and came to a wretched earth all the while knowing his mission, and yet he couldn't start his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old. Jesus had to wait 30 years. And you're like, yeah, but he was God. Yes, but he was also fully man. <laughs> he knew the answer to the problem, but he couldn't bring the answer until he was over 30. Listen, if you're having to be patient and wait on God for something, you're in good company. You're in good company. Look at this verse. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Patience is not that we wait. Patience is how we wait. If you're waiting and you're, you're bitter and you're growing angry and you're blaming everybody around, that's not called patience, right? Patience is how we wait. How did David wait? So for 20-something years, David invented a word that now they're writing books about called lead up. David led up before it was a thing. He led the king that was above him. He served the king. If the king had a command, David fulfilled it. Even knowing I could do this better, David was patient. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. If there's any one of these four things that I need in my toolbox... Is that one. That one there does not come naturally to me. I mean, it, it just is. If you're familiar, if you've ever taken personality tests, maybe you've taken them at work or different places like that. There's a lot of different ones. One that's popular right now is the Enneagram. And I haven't dove too much into it, but I've taken it. And on an Enneagram, I'm a three, which is an achiever or performer. And achieve, just get things done. Like, I don't want excuses. I don't want to blame anybody. Just, let's just dive in. Let's get it done. That patience does not go well with an achiever. <laughs> it just doesn't. I don't want to wait five years. And having moved to a farm, I'm having to learn patience, right? I can't get everything done today. My kids, 
I got a nine and 11 year old. They both have summer birthdays. So at the end of the summer, you know, they'll be, they'll be 10 and 12. We're a long way from being done with this thing, right? I've often heard, don't judge your parenting till your kids are 35. <laughs> it's probably true. But where my kids are, I got good kids, right? They're, they're, they're great kids. You know when I find that I'm the most aggravated with my kids, when I'm the most frustrated with them? It's when they're not acting like a 48-year-old man. It's when they're acting like a 9 and 11-year-old. That's when I'm the most frustrated. When you're not acting like an adult. You think I acted like them when I was their age? That or worse. But yet I lose patience when they're being the age God created them to be. Don't we do that as parents? Man, I'm, I'm probably the only one. Patience is tough. But when we can add patience to our toolbox, it allows us to do this next thing very, very well and a lot easier. And that's our second tool, and that's kindness. Kindness. Spiritual leaders care about people even when they can't return the favor. David because he led relationally, he had a desire to be kind. How is David kind? Well, there's a great story in 2 Samuel where David asked, he said, is there anybody left in the house of Saul whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now, think about this. He's just asking, is there anybody left in Saul's house that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now, Jonathan was Saul's son, David and Jonathan were best buds. David had a great love for Jonathan. They were really tight like brothers. And, and he wanted to show someone kindness. And so a servant came up and said, yes, actually there is. There's a son of Jonathan still alive and he's lame in both feet, which meant he couldn't walk. So David said, bring him to me. And so you can only imagine there's this poor guy who can't walk, which meant he couldn't work, which means that he probably had to beg for, it, for everything he had. And they go to him and they say, hey, King David wants to see you. You can only imagine. He's like, oh my gosh. Oh, what's going on? He's gonna kill me. Oh, King Saul was my granddad. I know they didn't get along. Okay, so they bring him before King David. And David said this in 2 Samuel 9, 7. He says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. Let's pause there for a moment. I will restore all the land. Think about all the land that King Saul would have had. This guy had nothing, and in an instant, he becomes a multimillionaire. Why? Because king wanted to be kind to him out of the graciousness of his heart. He said, I will give you back all that land. And not only that, but what did he say? You will always eat at my table. Okay, so David's not worried about him being poor and hungry anymore. He just made him a multimillionaire and gave him all the land he could, he could handle. David said, you'll always have a seat at my table because David wanted a relationship with him. Because David loved his dad, Jonathan. And David said, basically, I'm bringing you into my family. You can always come and go as you please. You can eat at my table. 
David gave this guy something that he could never repay. And he was kind to him. Dads, no matter how many times you go to that, that ball field, football, baseball, gymnastics, whatever it is, your kid's probably never going to be able to earn enough money to repay you everything you're doing for them right now, right? No, I know you're wanting to. They're going to they're gonna sign in the Major League Baseball. They're going to pay me all this back. No, they're probably not. Chances are. They're not going to be able to repay you back what you're doing. But it's not just the acts of service that we do for our family and our kids that show our kindness. Because if that doesn't come with a relationship, then it really doesn't mean a lot to anybody. I want to say this. It's not just the acts of service we do, but it's the way we speak to each other that shows kindness. Have you ever thought about, what if I spoke to the people at work the way I speak to the people in my house? Would I have a job for long? How would those relationships be? If you want a good barometer, thermometer of of culture in your house, and and you want to know how you talk, just listen to your kids and the way they talk to each other and the way they talk to you. Because we learn deep-seated communication patterns from our parents. That's why we grow up and we turn 40 and we say, God, man, I sound just like my mom. I sound just like my dad. We don't say, man, I sound just like my friend Bubba from eighth grade. No. We learn communication patterns from our parents. So look, if you want your kids to be kind, be kind to them. You can still be the parents, still be, you know, lead them and teach them and guide them, but we can be kind in that. Great leaders show kindness. We'll put that in the toolbox. Here's the, here's the, third, the third tool. Great leaders show courage. Spiritual leaders do what's right even when it's uncomfortable. Or you could say it this way, it's never wrong to do what's right. Great leaders have courage. David had courage. I mean, we've seen that. We've seen that in the past couple weeks, right? David went up against a bear. He fought a lion. David went against Goliath when no one else would, when they were standing there for weeks and weeks on end. David comes in and shows courage and does that. But another story happened in 1 Samuel where David and his men had left the city. And then while they were gone, the Amalekites came in and they ransacked two cities, one in which David lived. And they, 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 they kidnapped all the women, all the children, all the elderly. They burned the cities to the ground. And then David and his men come back And they find everyone's gone, everyone had been kidnapped, and everything, all their possessions had been burned and stolen. And they do as any of us would do, they weep for a while. And then the men, the very men that David loved, that he led, did something that we all do. When things go south, we turn on the leader. They all turned on David, and they wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. This guy that they loved, that he he loved, they turn on him, and they're ready to stone him. And, and this is what it says in 1 Samuel 36. It says, And David was greatly distressed because the, spe- the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his son and daughter. But here's the key. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. So David goes, and he goes to the Lord, and he asks him, 
He says, God, should I attack these people? Should I go back in and attack the Amalekites? And if I do, will I win? Will I be successful? And God says, yes, and yes, you should attack them and go and get what is yours. And yes, you will be successful. David strengthened himself in the Lord. If we find courage in ourselves, then it leads to pride and it leads to arrogance. But if we find courage in the Lord, it leads to humility. Guys, I have no doubt that if someone were to come into your house, you would take a bullet for your, for your family. Probably in a second, you wouldn't think anything about it. You have a courage to just do what needs to be done. You know what's harder for most of us? Is the courage to do what's right in the small things daily. The courage to do what's right when no one's watching. The courage to lead our families into places spiritually that we just don't know about. And we don't want to lead spiritually because we fear that it's going to be found out that I don't know much about it. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. My wife, I feel like, knows five times more about Scripture than I do, and I got a seminary degree. (laughs) Being a spiritual leader at home doesn't mean that we have to have all the answers. That's, That's not the requirement. Being a spiritual leader at home doesn't mean that we even have to have the most intimate walk with God. We'll go through seasons of that. Being a spiritual leader at home is about humbly coming alongside your family and saying, hey, let's seek after God. And you know what? If I don't know the answer, man, we'll find it out together. That's what our kids need. Someone to lovingly walk with them towards the things of God. And that takes courage to do when you don't feel like you, you know how to do it. So it takes courage. And when, remember when I said when we find courage in the Lord, when we find courage in ourselves, it leads to pride. When I find courage in the Lord, it leads to our fourth tool, and that's humility, the tool of humility. David was humble. It says here in 2 Samuel seven eighteen. it says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? Who am I and what is my house that you've brought me this far? David was good looking. David was strong. He had great leadership quality skills. He was the greatest king they had ever had. But David knew at the end of the day, it was not about David. It was about God's grace and God's goodness on him. Spiritual leaders show humility. Humble leaders recognize that they accomplish and they attain all they have because of God's grace. Humble leaders are more concerned about others than they are themselves. I love what the great theologian C.S. Lewis said. He defined humility this way. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's evident of a relational leader. Gosh, it's so hard to get up from in front of the Braves game to go help my kid do something. (laughs) It is really hard. So a few years ago, um, talking about this tool of humility, I think that tool is the greatest tool, guys, we can have in our toolbox. 
Because if we have that tool, all the others can come. So a few years ago, I was, uh, in, the, I was in the middle of working on my master's program, and we had a project for one of our classes. And at first, it was like, this is an easy project. There's really nothing to it. And basically, they gave us a question. We had to find four or five people, ask them the question, let them think about it, and then the next week, get with them and then give us their answer. Easy, easy breezy. Until I came across the question. And guys, I'm going to be honest with you. This question is the greatest question you can put in your toolbox as a dad or as a mom, as, any, as a leader, as a person. This question wrecked me. And here's the question. What's it like on the other side of me? What's it like on the other side of me? You know, that's a question I had never thought about or never asked. Let's dive into that for a second. What's it like to wake up every morning and know you're going to have to deal with me all day? What's it like to manage my emotions? What's it like to, um, when you pull at, in the driveway or you pull in the parking lot at work and you see my car, do you get excited or do you think, oh, Lord? When you hear my voice in your head, is it a voice of, of encouragement and love and a life breather, someone that breathes life into you? Or is it a voice that sucks life out of you, that's never satisfied with what you do, that has expectations that I can't meet, I can never jump over their bar? What's it like on the other side of me? You know why this question wrecked me? Because I find myself having to ask this question about three or four times a week. Because in every relational conflict or every relationship, there's a cause and effect that happens. This effect happens and I have to ask myself, am I the cause? Case in point, yesterday, I get up, man, we're, you know, like I said, we're moving. Everything's kind of a mess. We're trying to get things straight. And, of course, our kids are making a mess quicker than we can make clean things up and get things where it's going. And I got on to Colby about something. And then five minutes later, I got on to him about a, another thing. And then five minutes later, he's, again, he's acting nine years old. And I get on to him again. And now my, man, my, my frustration level's high. And I talk louder than I want to. And. Colby, are you serious? Why, why are you doing that? And then for the next 30 minutes, I see this little nine-year-old boy walk around defeated. And just like, and I ask myself that question, and I can see him thinking in his head, I can't do anything right. Why would he think he could? Because all morning I've just been... Like this. And when we ask that question, what's it like on the other side of me? It opens me up to be able to change, to lead relationally each person in my family differently. 
And it keeps me like David before the cross of Christ, coming back to God saying, God, I need you. I need you. And guys, as, as leaders in your home, if you have that, you got a full toolbox. And you'll do greatly in your family if you keep coming back to that question of humility. God, I surrender to you. Guys, look at me. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. God never He never ordained David's heart or commissioned his heart based upon his actions, did he? Because David was jacked up. We see it in Scripture. What did God ordain? He ordained his heart. Because David kept coming back to him and saying, God, I'm yours. Take me. Change me. What do I need to change? How can I be better? How can I have a heart like yours? And that's the greatest tool we can have in our toolbox, guys, is a heart for God that's laid bare before God and say, God, take me and change me. Will you pray with me today? Father, God, I know what it's like to feel inept or unqualified to do a job. And God, parenting is the hardest of them. And God, it's the one that there's no manual for. That kid doesn't come out with a way to lead them. But God, we know that you, as we walk with you, that you will guide us and you will give us a heart and you will give us the tools to lead our families. God, my biggest prayer for these guys today is that they can have courage and humility to do the right thing and to come before you with hearts that are surrendered. And God, I pray that you will empower them to lead their families boldly and encourage them today. In your son's name we pray, amen.